Hi there, and welcome to Maxed Out. My name is Max Fawcett. I'm the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer, and today is my favorite day of the year, and not just because of who I'm about to interview. It's opening day for Major League Baseball. This podcast, as you probably know by now, is about having constructive conversations about public policy issues with people I might or do disagree with. I want to step outside my silos, and I want to encourage other people to step outside of theirs. And just a reminder that we need your help to continue all of our podcasts. Every donation helps, and please rate us a five on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. We want everyone to find us. Today is episode 11, the Rachel Notley interview. My guest is, of course, the former premier of Alberta, and one who hopes to become the next premier as well. Ms. Notley is the leader of the Alberta NDP, the MLA for Edmonton Strathcona, and the best chance this province, and by extension our country, has of navigating the energy transition successfully. More on that in a moment. Now, full disclosure, in case it wasn't already obvious, I am a little bit biased here. I worked in the public service for her government from 2017 to 2019 in the climate change office, and I remain incredibly proud of the work that it did and what little I was able to contribute to it. And for all the criticizing and complaining that I do about the Alberta NDP strategic choices, I still think they're by far the most serious and sober-minded party this province has to offer. They're one that refuses to tilt at windmills and tumble down rabbit holes like the UCP government has over the last four years, and surely would if given another foreign power. They don't exist purely to pick fights with Ottawa and the environmental movement, and they recognize that Alberta's future depends on its ability to work with others rather than against them. But I'm also nervous about their ability to tell that story to Calgary voters, the ones who will ultimately decide this election. I worry that they're not fluent enough in the language of jobs and the economy, which are the ones spoken most often and easily down here. And I'm concerned that their relentless focus on public health care is missing the mood in the Calgary ridings they need to win, where opposition to private service delivery may not be quite as robust as it is up in Edmonton. Anyways, let's get into some of these concerns and questions right now. Rachel Notley, welcome to Maxed Out. Good to be here. So I have a whole list of questions that I want to get into here. But uh, first, I have to ask you about the events of the last few days here. What exactly do you make of the, the video that was released of Premier Smith's very sympathetic conversation with Arthur Palowski, a well-known anti-LGBTQ activist who's been charged with mischief over $5,000 and interrupting the operation of essential infrastructure due to his actions at the Coots border blockade last year? There was a lot that was deeply disturbing that was revealed to Albertans uh, through that video. You know, what we saw was an 11-minute conversation between uh, Danielle Smith and, as you described, Archer Pulowski, who not only is accused of having been involved with a blockade, which compromised almost a billion dollars worth of economic activity over the term of it being in place, but also is being accused of having uh, encouraged people to take violent action against the police. And so this is a person that our premier chose to call. Now, first of all, contrary to positions taken by, for instance, Casey Madhu, it is not appropriate for the premier ever 
actually, to call somebody on the eve of going to trial <laughs> for two criminal charges. But nonetheless, they had a call. And then we saw the premier's office claim, oh, well, there's nothing new here because we had this conversation already back uh, in January. But in fact, that's profoundly inaccurate. And there were a number of things about that call or about the video that are disturbing. But the one that, that jumped out at me first was that she acknowledged that she had previously spoken to the deputy attorney general, who, to be clear, is the chief prosecutor, about the specifics of how the case was being prosecuted, the particulars of the crown prosecutor's strategy, and that she had expressed her disappointment with how it was being prosecuted, and that she promised to go back and do the same again. There is no debate that that amounts to political interference in our system of justice by the premier of the province. And I don't, honestly, Max, I don't recall any time in the history of Canada where you have seen on the video recording as gross a breach of the need to maintain a separation between the legislative and executive branch of government and the uh, judicial branch uh, on the other hand. And, you know, you know, I mean, obviously most of your listeners, I think, are are obviously keen followers of politics, but even if you're not, the separation between the justice system and the and, and the legislative and executive branch of government is probably one of or the most profoundly important components of a healthy democracy. And the fact that she casually wanders across that separation and starts trying to pull strings for people that she agrees with. And I don't even care that that, that the person she agrees with is also someone that is profoundly offside with 99.99% of Albertans. The f even if, if she was pulling strings for someone that 60% of Albertans agreed with. In fact, it, it still doesn't make it right. And she doesn't seem to get it or she's being uh, intentionally obtuse. And, and it raises the question, is this what Albertans have to expect? from her in the future, that she will break important parliamentary traditions and expectations, that she will lie about it, that she will hide from the press, and that she will continue to do so in the future. Wow. And how many of these calls happen that we don't have recordings of? That's a whole other can of worms. But anyways, let's get into what you're doing. Uh, the, you know, the NDP is in the process of moving its entire campaign team down to Calgary in order to ensure that everyone's on the front lines of where this election will be won or lost. That's not to give short shrift to Edmonton or the rest of the province, but every poll that I've seen so far, and I suspect that you've seen, suggests that the election will be won or lost in about 20 Calgary area ridings. So given that, what's your message to Calgary voters? What's your value proposition? Well, our core is pretty straightforward. It's basically who can you count on to stand up for the priorities that matter to you. We are here to improve the health care that uh, families can can receive and count on uh, should they need it. We are here to help families with affordability. We're here to help build a strong, uh, sustainable jobs economy that Calgarians can count on us to be focused on those things and to be focused on that because it's what matters to people, as opposed to being distracted by the many, many things that, that contribute to the instability and the chaos that we see with the UCP's uh, leadership. So when it comes to economic issues, and especially ones that involve oil and gas, it often feels to me like the Albert NDP retreats to the safer ground of social issues and public services. But, and I've said this for a long time now, uh, I also think that you have the more compelling message, especially on energy and climate. So why not take the fight to the UCP on that front more often? 
You know, listen, we've spent a lot of time over the last four years in particular on the doorstep in Calgary, a lot of time. It's a quantitative or qualitative difference over the last uh, four years compared to everything leading up to that. And we've been speaking to folks and quite honestly, like no question, there are parts of the province where folks are worried about, you know, our, our bona fides with respect to supporting the oil and gas industry. But in large swaths of Calgary, honestly, it's not that people aren't concerned about that and that we don't talk about it, but they honestly, they're what they are telling us more frequently that they are worried about is in fact, healthcare affordability and diversification and job creation. So, so that's what we're talking about. And so you you are right. I mean, I'm happy to talk oil and gas. I mean, you know, the, I actually think we have a record that is stronger on uh, oil and gas than, than certainly the UCP can speak to. But what we are doing is trying to really meet people where they are. And they're telling us where they are. Right now, a lot of it is a concern about uh, health care and affordability. In the wake of the recent spill from one of the tailings ponds up at Imperial's Curl site, I was watching to see what you'd say from your Twitter account, because it obviously sets the tone for the party and and the campaign. And there were lots of tweets about insurance costs, lots of tweets about healthcare, education, even a few about your nomination meeting in Edmonton, but very little about energy and the economy, very little about curl. You know, that spill struck me as a golden opportunity for the NDP to lay out its contrasting vision for the oil and gas sector and its role in Alberta's economy. You know, the UCP, I think it's fair to say, stands up for companies, stands up for executives, stands up for the status quo, while you're for the workers, you're for the ones who probably want the industry to live up to the high standards that it says it has, but uh, often falls short on. Why didn't you do that? I, I'm not sure that we we didn't spend some time talking about it. You know, I don't know that my Twitter account is always the only way to sort of measure what we're talking about. Uh, certainly, I raised it in the legislature, and, and certainly so did other many several other members of our caucus in the legislature. We will actually have some things to say about uh, the leadership at the AER uh, getting a bit closer to uh, the election. But there's no question. I mean, you know, let's be perfectly clear. I mean, this this was a, a huge problem. It was a, a grossly disrespectful to the principles of reconciliation in terms of the fact that there was communication with neighboring communities was appalling. There is no excuse, and the excuse that's been offered by Imperial AER and uh, the Minister of Energy and the Minister of Environment, none of them are adequate to explain why this work has not, there hasn't been a much more transparent conversation about what to do with it. And the reason for that, as you rightly say, it is, again, it's twofold. It's, it's of course, ensuring the integrity of the environment and the water supply and the, and the communities. It is also about ensuring the integrity of our reputation as a safe, sustainable, responsible producer of, of oil and gas. So this kind of thing really doesn't help our reputation internationally, that's for sure. There needs to be a very aggressive move, ambitious move very soon to reestablish that sense of confidence that people can have in our regulatory schemes. Obviously, the money that was spent on the war room was a waste. I mean, I think everyone who wasn't directly involved with it could see that, but it speaks to sort of a larger problem, which is that there's this belief that if only we communicated better in this province, some, you know, somehow the world would, would fall on its knees and, and decide to let us build pipelines everywhere. And the truth of it is it, it would be better if we focus that energy on putting in better regulations, creating a, a system of rules that the world could look at and go, oh, no, they really do take it as seriously as they say they do. 
No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to, the old brain, you have to, you have to walk the talk and these guys are not. And quite honestly, part of the success that we had in government, uh, turning the dial in terms of the national impression in relation to our industry, as well as in relation to the, the economic objectives of Albertans came from the fact that people who would historically not listen to Albertans and, or Alberta leaders, not Albertans, people love Albertans, but historically disregard certain Alberta political leaders, we had the ability to go into rooms where people suddenly did start listening to us because we had been doing the hard work through the office that, that you describe and other measures that we were doing in government to to really not only demonstrate that we take these things seriously, but to achieve outcomes that reflect that we have, in fact, taken them seriously. The NDP got a lot of really important things done, including TMX. How do you feel about the federal liberals right now, given all of the just transition stuff? Because when I saw that come out, it just blew my mind. It, you know, it was so obviously a gift to the Daniel Smiths of the world. And I couldn't really understand why they were doing it. Part of me, and you know, I, I, and I have liberal friends. I, I talked to them in Ottawa and I was like, are you guys doing this on purpose? And they kind of hemmed it and they, uh, they're like, no, no, of course not. We're not doing it on purpose. But what did you make of it from your perspective? You know, seeing where you were in the polls at the time and, and you know, knowing that this does not play well. I think that, you know, there were some really tone deaf components to the work that was being done in Ottawa around different features of, you know, emissions reduction nationally as it related to Alberta. And, you know, you know, I, I called some of those out uh, publicly and, and through other channels as well. I think, though, that the blame needs to be uh, fairly distributed. You know, people become tone deaf to the interests of your jurisdiction if no one from your jurisdiction is having a normal, reasonable conversation with them talking about what the perspective is. I mean, we have a government that has been lost in, completely lost in rhetorical, superficial, gotcha political game playing for the last three and a half years. And honestly, when I look at that that discussion that was coming out of uh, Ottawa, I get as angry by the amount of time that we have wasted as Albertans, not as Albertans, we didn't waste it, but but that we have wasted as a province because of the leadership of the UCP. That's three and a half years. This is critical decision-making, game-changing stuff that is happening within the industry across the world. And when we left office, we were being recognized in a whole bunch of different international quarters as being leaders on these fronts. And these guys just pushed, well, they didn't push pause. They slammed on the brakes and then they got the heck out of the car and just wandered off in in a some kind of, you know, frenzy and never to be seen again. And the problem is, is that, that we've missed three and a half years at a time when, from the perspective of an energy producing jurisdiction, we need to uh, not only maintain, but grow market share, not only in current industry, uh, energy areas, but but emerging industry uh, energy areas, we just stopped doing that work. And part of that work involves being at the table with the federal government, hammering out some of the stuff that they're saying that is stupid, and making strong arguments for what they can do better. And that I, I will say this, as a New Democrat, as an Albertan, who I think actually the majority of Albertans agree with, I think we do have to do our part to reduce emissions. And I think working together as a country with other orders of government to achieve that in a predictable, rational, best practice kind of way is good economic policy. And I think that that's where 
ultimately Ottawa's coming from. And if they wandered off the road away from the car on the other side, saying things that were, you know, really not reflective of, of some key realities here in Alberta, well, yeah, they did that. But, you know, who was there to bring them back? Certainly not the UCP government. I, I want to sort of shift a little bit just to the the national level, I guess, and and oh, I guess we're already there right now, and then just ask about, you know, the difference between New Democratic parties in the West and the rest of the country. Because I have friends in Ontario who who often ask me about you and about the NDP, especially when I was working for the government. Why are they in government? How are they so good? How do they win elections? What what is different about them? And you know, we see this in BC. There, they've had two terms in government now. Looks like they'll probably win a third. You know, if you win the next election, that'll be two NDP governments in three terms. Is there something different about what New Democratic provincial wings do in the West versus Ontario, Quebec, other parts of the country? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think that there are differences in politics generally across the board. I think there are differences between conservatives across the country. I think there are differences between liberals across the country. You know, I think the Nova Scotia NDP government was a pretty practical, pragmatic government as well. So so I think part of what is being discussed here is, is just the difference between parts of the country. And I think there are also differences between federal and provincial aspirants to, you know, electoral success uh, because of the type and the nature of the issues that you deal with at a provincial level versus a, a federal level. That being said, all those things being said, there's a sort of prairie, a, a practical prairie populism that I think uh, permeates. It's not even prairie because, of course, even in BC too, you know, uh, th- there's a lot of pragmatism that we're we're seeing from the the BC government as well. It just comes from the partly geographical. It's partly the issues that you're dealing with. It's partly your proximity to to uh, being in a decision making position. I want to get into the healthcare conversation a little bit. I, I, you know, obviously this is a, a key plank in your platform. It is, it is the, I think the thing that differentiates you probably more than the UCP. Certainly it's where you're spending a lot of time and energy. Are you worried that the, there's a, something happening underneath us right now in the politics? You know, there was a poll in February that said that I think it was like 61% of Canadians were open to more private involvement in the healthcare system. I, I know I, I think that's probably because of COVID and, and all the problems our healthcare systems are having, but it feels to me like there's a possibility that there's a mismatch between the solutions that you're offering and the public's mood on healthcare right now. What do you think? Well, I think that there's uh, two different conversations here. There's the goal conversation, and then there's the sort of uh, public, you know, the, the public policy path to achieving that goal. I uh, believe that healthcare is a, a very, very important issue for uh, most Albertans right now, including people in Calgary. What they are seeking is better healthcare. They're seeking ambulances that show up on time. They're seeking fewer people on the wait list, shorter wait times. They're seeking an ER that doesn't, you know, make them think of, of you know, the set of some wartime movie. They're, uh, you know, looking for a family doctor. So that's the issue. And that is an issue that the UCP has failed on. And that is an issue that we are making a, a, a heartfelt commitment to Albertans that we want to succeed on. So within that larger area, uh, yes, there are uh, conversations that, you, you know, you're quite right. A lot of people will say, you know, listen, if, if uh, my mom can get her hip replaced, uh, I don't care how it gets done if it just gets done. You know, and that's totally reasonable. That's exactly what you expect people to say. From a public policy point of view, the evidence and the research shows that in the long term, A, making mom pay for it is a 
hard stop dumb move and most Canadians and most Albertans are opposed to it. But B, you know, engaging in all this opportunity to contract out to to private providers, the research actually shows that that in the over time produces uh, more cost, poorer outcomes, and ultimately doesn't help with the wait times. And we have seen that repeated over and over with different experiments across the country. Now, that last piece is not what we're campaigning on, let me be clear, because I'm talking so long and people have long since stopped listening to me in there. You know, they're like, yeah, thanks, Rachel. Can you get off my doorstep now? I want to go back and have dinner. So fair enough. I believe this to be true because it's what the research tells us. And I'm a very evidence-based, research-based person. But on the issue of are we going to deliver healthcare for folks and are we going to do it in a way that is sustainable that we can afford to do so that we maintain a generations-long principle that people get the healthcare they need when they need it, where they need it, regardless of how much money they have in their pocket at any given time? That's a thing that I do think is uh, there's a pretty clear line through those principles and the priorities of Calgarians and Albertans. See, I think that's a really good example of the difference between the reality of your party and its policies and the way it's often talked about. You know, I, and that's certainly true on energy. You know, I still bump into people who say, well, well, you know, there's a picture of Rachel Notley at a protest against pipelines from 2013 or something, and you were standing in the background. And like, there, people cling to this version of your party that doesn't really exist anymore. How do you deal with that sort of disconnect between the reality of how you governed and who you are and what your policies are right now and this sort of stereotype that people have about New Democrat that, that well, debating you know, and weaponizing. that's a really big conversation because, of course, there's so many different pieces to how people talk and how people campaign and what resources they use and what platforms they talk on and blah, 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 and we could go on at some length. But where I come back to, and particularly you you want to talk about Calgary, is the issue of, you know, you got to cut through that stuff as much as you can, and the best way to do it is face-to-face, or none. And so we have been rigorous. When our candidates, when they apply to be a candidate, and not every candidate gets to run for nomination, they have to first apply and be allowed to run for nomination. And when they apply, they sign off on a commitment to door knock at least six hours a week. That's what they've been doing, and many have been doing far more than that. And that has been supplemented, of course, by a growing number of volunteers across Calgary, we're into the thousands now, who are going out with those candidates and door knock. And I have to tell you, like, we talk about it kind of obsessively behind closed doors here, you know, our metrics are unlike anything we have ever seen, not only in this province, but frankly, in Democrat campaigns all across the country. In terms of the number of folks who we are contacting, the number of folks who are telling us that they're supporting us, the number of folks who tell us they're thinking about supporting us and we need to go back and talk to the number of folks who are putting up signs, all that kind of stuff. Like our, you know, some people refer to it as the ground game, but it's more than the ground game. It's like the deep canvas model, right? It's the model of talking through the noise and connecting with people. So if someone opens their door and they meet a candidate there who's standing there, you know, like if you're like, I don't know, just random, if you're in Foothills, you know, a historically conservative part of Calgary and you open your door and and Court Ellingson is standing there. I don't know. I mean, he's one of the most reasonable, kind, articulate, approachable humans you're ever going to meet, credible humans. And if you meet that guy on your doorstep, your views, all these other views that that these sort of caricatures that you're describing, you're going to start to dissipate. And so that's how we're going to do it. And that's how we are doing it. And that's how we're going to keep on doing it. You've been the leader now for uh, two campaigns, and this will be the third. Obviously, 2015 was a weird one. 
my sense, my sense, and I won't ask you to confirm it, but my sense is that in 2019, you had a feeling of generally how it would go. What's your, what, what does this one feel like? Cause it, it, I think, you know, most pollsters agree. Most pundits agree. This is going to be the first close election in Alberta's history that we, that we know is going to be close going in. You know, what does that feel like it's from your perspective? It's nerve wracking because you're right. It's closer than uh, either of the other two campaigns, but it's also exciting because we are more prepared, better resourced, and just more on the ball, more, more ready on every front than we ever have been before. So that part of it's really exciting. You know, I joke around in 2015, I had one speech ready for election night in 2019. I had one speech ready for election night in 2023. I'll probably have three. It is what it is, but, but you know, democracy is good. And I think this is better for Alberta. You know, people sometimes bemoan, and I, I do too somewhat, you know, where, I mean, actually, I've never bemoaned partisanship. I think partisanship is actually a word that's been given a bad name. And I think it actually implies people being engaged in politics and our parliamentary democracy and the politics between that. And I think that's healthy. I do bemoan some of the polarization and the misinformation and the, our fast retreating capacity to have agreements where we agree to disagree, where we are debating the same common facts. We've moved well past that, and that is uh, worrisome to me. But historically, I've always been one who's believed that a robust political conversation is healthy for folks because it means that they care about their community and they're engaged in the decisions that are being made, being made in their community. And that's what we're going to have in this election. And hopefully there'll be some faults where we actually overlap. That's going to be the question mark. <laughs> Well, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. I really appreciate you taking the time here today to talk to me. Uh, it was a pleasure and best of luck in the election. Thank you. Enjoyed talking to you. Bye-bye. I want to thank Rachel Notley again for joining me on the podcast and answering some of the questions I have about their Calgary outreach strategy and their approach to governing more broadly. I also want to remind Premier Daniel Smith's people, who I have already extended an invite to, that the door remains open. I'd love to ask her some questions about the election and her approach to Alberta's future. But given that she blocked me on Twitter and refuses to reverse that despite promising that she would, I'm not really going to hold my breath here. Rest assured, there will be plenty of other Alberta election content between now and the end of May. As Ms. Notley said, this province has already wasted four years with war rooms and public inquiries into enemies and other forms of political self-injury. I don't think it can endure another four without permanent lasting damage to its future one that I'm very much invested in. Maxed Out is produced by Canada's National Observer. Our managing producer for podcasts is Sandra Bartlett, associate producer Zara Kazama, the executive editor of Canada's National Observer is Karen Puglesi, our publisher is Linda Solomon Wood, next week is Hot Politics with David Mackay, and I'm Max Fawcett. I'll see you in two weeks.